Welcome to the Fan Bros, the show where the bros are fans. What's up, Internet? You're listening to Fan Bros Show, the voice of the urban geek for all nerds. The only show where we talk about geek culture from the perspective of people of color. And happy 2018 to all of you. And welcome back. We need like that Welcome Back Cotter theme song playing right now because we are back. That's right. It's your boy, DJ Benamin, a.k.a. Wakanda's favorite DJ, William Drake Spear, G.I. Troll. Uh, what else we got? I got too many AKAs. I'm not going to spend too much time on them. You know, yo, shout out to uh, Desus and Mero. Did I say their names right? It doesn't matter. But, I think you it's Desus, but. Desus and Mero, the homies, you know. But, man, yo, they go on for like 10 minutes doing their AKAs. I was listening to their show the other day. They gave us a shout out. It was beautiful. You know, I'm talking way too much right now. Let me introduce my co-host. Uh, yo, what's up, everyone? Happy 2018. <laughs> this is uh, Chico Leo, a.k.a. Proud Harry, a.k.a. Proud Barry, a.k.a. Proud Larry. <laughs> all the Prouds, you're all three of them? That's right. It's like the three You're like a whole family here. unto yourself. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Well, I don't know. It doesn't sound like too many families went and caught uh, Toronto's oh, oh. Uh, big action debut this weekend early that's early early chico you know it's just monday morning right now who knows you know what's gonna happen this week let's not just you know put it in the grave already yeah i know i had all these jokes ready for paddington too as well which didn't do very well this weekend <laughs> but uh <laughs> we'll just Yo, uh we'll just we'll just keep it at that i i mean paddington too like i peeped the first one i can't lie and i liked the first one but as soon as i saw the commercials and paddington was up in jail it was just like what's like come on wow real? i, know I didn't every know movie... that yeah i didn't even realize oh. that so this is this is literally paddington's in jail it's like the the shawshank redemption except with paddington <laughs> now that's something i'd watch no it's um <laughs> it, <laughs> i know there's a sequence in jail because in the commercial he like is washing clothes and he washes one red sock with all the prisoners you know black and whites and their black and whites turn pink and they're all staring at him crazy. And that was, you know, in the commercial. And I'm just like, I, wow. I know it, it's really crazy. This is something that I peeped actually when I was in jail is that how many movies take place or have a scene in jail. It's like you would not realize until you're, I guess, in a situation like that where you see all these films have like scenes in jail. I mean, it's so many different random films and TV, you know, just have scenes in jail. I mean, the other messed up thing is that uh, Sheriff Joe Arpaio, who is uh, now running for Senate in uh, Arizona, used to make the people <laughs> dress up in pink. So the idea of the Paddington joke is kind of like if you were, you know, if you were you were subjected to inhumane treatment in, uh, you know, in, in, in Arizona, in Maricopa County, you would. I mean, that's what he made people do was wear pink uh, pink uniforms. I mean, first of all, I can't believe that he's running for Senate, but he has no chance of winning. I mean, I mean, it is Arizona, so let's not say that. Get out and vote if you are in Arizona yeah. because that cannot happen. 
But second of all, it's one of those things. It's like, you know, I saw this, I think it was a documentary, and they were talking about how in America prison culture is so endemic that we have, we make jokes about it. You know, we have films about it. It's just part of our culture. You know, don't drop the soap, et cetera, et cetera. So for Paddington to be in jail, it's just like, you know, it's par for the course. But it's right. also ridiculous because this is a kid's movie. And you got little kids, you know, growing up with these jail jokes and stuff like that. It's like, come on now. like. And oh. there aren't any bears in jail either. <laughs> I mean, let's keep it real. <laughs> I mean, if you, there ain't even a teddy bear in jail for real. No. <laughs> like, that's not going down. So, yeah, um, well, I mean, it is 2018, and we are starting the year off on a note, aren't we, Chico? <laughs> yeah, I guess so. Well, you know, 2017 was quite a year, and 2018 is looking to be quite the year as well. So, you know, I mean, hopefully this is the year that, you know, we strike back. I think it really will be. You know, and let's, I mean, we'll, we'll get to some of the good news and everything, but like you said, 2017 was quite a year for us. A lot of things went down. You know, thank you to everybody who has been listening, has been there with us through the times, through everything that we've been going through. And, you know, I don't even know how to go into this, Chico, because it's just, you know, it's something that I know everybody wants to know about and we've been talking about and every, you know, I mean, obviously you heard the man's voice as soon as the show opens. And, you know, we have to send, you know, the most profound, all the love, you know, all the respect, everything, you know, rest in power. Shout out to our one and only Reggie Ose, a.k.a. Combat Jack, a.k.a. the founder of Fan Bros. You know. Yeah, I mean, so I, you guys recorded a final Combat Jack episode this week or last week. This week with the whole with the whole crew. Yep, with the whole crew, everybody was in attendance. All kind of people came through. Shout out to D Dot Angeletti, uh, NY Delight. Um, oh man, just on and on. People just were calling in. West Side Gun. I just it was just so much. Dallas Penn, Just Blaze. I mean, you know, Matt Raz, Mena, Moro. I mean, just everyone was there. King. It was just a beautiful thing. Premium Pete. It was the reunion episode that we basically never got to have, you know, while combat was still with us. But I know he was still there in spirit. And it was just it was wonderful. You know, that 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 was definitely. I mean, it, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah it, I mean, it, it's really I mean, it, it's crazy because um, I mean, it doesn't feel like five years, but I actually met combat before I met you mm -hmm. um, and I met combat in Dallas before I met you. And um, yeah, it was almost five years ago. It was like literally February of 2013. And yeah, combat Jack had been like, you know, um, you know, the geek culture thing was just starting to become a big thing. I think the Avengers movie had just come out the year before um and combat was like yo we need to have you know um a show you know about geek culture but from the perspective of people of color and um you know that was the that was the genesis for you know for fanbros without a doubt and uh, i think he was right because um i mean shout out to you know there are other people who are who are in this space, but I feel like, you know, he, he saw it early on and Fambrose was definitely there, you know? Um, I mean, again, it's been almost five years, you know? Mm -hmm. yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, he, and it was great to see, you know, I mean, he got, 
the recognition um you know he got a a, a legit big um obit in the new york times and a lot of people i mean were coming out i mean just to see you know people appreciating what he did because I, I i definitely do think you know he he had a huge effect and he's someone who had um you know people usually uh, a lot of people don't have multiple acts in their life like people mm. if people have one successful act and you know reggie had like two or three very successful acts and uh you know that's you know that that's a huge accomplishment uh in 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 this I mean, day and day and age and i'm not even talking about like personal stuff being a dad and and all that you know um but just yeah i mean uh i don't know i mean he he was you know a successful lawyer who in the 90s definitely uh brokered all kinds of deals and then he recognized this podcast thing really really early um i mean you know but, combat well, jack had been well, going for three four years before fan bros right something like yeah, that two three years and, and, I mean, everyone's trying to talk about all that, Chico, but, I, you know, more more so, and I know to everyone out there, you know, and just, like, I didn't know how long you'd known him. That was, like, my first question, really, because I didn't know that you just met him, you know, right around. Do you know, do you remember when the first time you met him was? Yeah, I had dinner with him and Chris and Dallas and Joe Illich and, and <laughs> yeah, Chris Morrow, Joe Illich, Dallas, me, and Reggie, and, um... I think Dallas and Reggie went to the wrong place, and so they were they were like a, like an hour late. But uh, yeah, I mean, and that's the thing when when it all started, you know, it was um, you know, it was you know, it was it was fun, you know, it was it was you know, we hung out, we talked about samurai movies, you know, we talked about the Avengers. Um, I remember early on, like you know less than two months in we all went and saw iron man three together mm. um and and then you know my mom died i remember actually him driving me home a couple of times after like recording because we used to record the same night as combat jack actually i think we all through all of this we we always recorded the same night as combat jack but yep um i remember him driving me home a couple of times and you know uh he was you know one of the few people in the uh in the network older than me and so you know we took you know talked about um just you know whatever death parents family all that stuff and um yeah i mean it was it was a real shock um i remember when i saw him at afropunk over the summer and he was talking about oh my stomach's been bothering me Mm, and yep. then a couple months later you know he got diagnosed with uh you know with colon cancer and i visit i did get to visit him in the hospital um but uh yeah i mean it was you know and he was optimistic you know i mean he had i remember the day that i was there there were a whole bunch of uh i don't know how much people know but uh reggie was buddhist and uh there was a whole bunch of uh buddhist people who were coming to chant with him right after i uh after i left mm-hmm no, I mean, um, you know, Reggie was always optimistic and, you know, always will be. That's, you know, something that, you know, everyone who knows him and everyone who knew him will always, you know, know about him was that he was just one of the op most optimistic people that, you know, I've ever known. And I've I've known him, you know, longer than you, obviously. I didn't know that yeah. you, know, you met him right then. I met him, you know, like it's almost been 10 years now since I first met him. And I met him just through the randomness of the internet. You know, shout out to Nah Wright because my man SJ he linked me up with him, 
back when Bill O'Reilly uh, stole this video that I was using. Um, I shot this video of Jay-Z and Jeezy. It's uh, from when the first time they performed My President is Black in D.C. It was like the first time they performed it ever. It went all over the internet. So I had a blog back then, please don't stare.com. And Bill O'Reilly ended up using it. So Combat linked up with me, you know, and was like, yo, let's sue this dude, you know, because everybody knows Combat's the lawyer. And so it never happened because, you know, journalists can use a piece of video, whatever, blah, blah, blah. But since then, we got tight. And then from then, you know, one day I just asked him to be on the Combat Chat show. It whoop de whoop de whoop Everybody knows that story. If not, you can go listen to the last episode of the Combat Jat show. And then, you know, after that, like Chico said, he had this idea to start, you know, the Fan Bros show. Uh, the original name was the Boom Bap Pow show, I think. I think that was his idea. And I was just like, nah, bro. Yeah, no. He, yeah, he had that. And he actually named Fan Bros because he was like, you yep. know. That was the whole thing. It was like fanboys became fan bros. Bros, yep. Um, and then he, he, I mean, as everyone knows, or if you don't know, that's him singing the theme song. And that just came from, you know, one night. It's in one of the first episodes, you know. Yeah, I think it might actually were, be the first episode. Yeah, and Combat's um, like, yo, we need a theme song. And he just right. starts singing it. And he was like, I was thinking right. about this on the way over here. And he was like, yo, you know. Uh, welcome, you know, and then boom. So, I mean, the other, the other important thing is that he came up, I mean, you know, when we're talking, you know, like they talk about in, in, you know, the old bits and everything about, he was a lawyer and then a podcaster, but he came up like he wasn't just, he was on both sides of the desk, so to speak, in the sense that, um, you know, he was a lawyer making deals and stuff, but in the eighties, he came up like in the club scene, you know, like with, you know, hanging out with, you know, that whole early like melting pot of like hip hop where it was, you know, mm -hmm. John Michelle Basquiat and Keith Haring yep. and, you know, uh, Russell Simmons and sort of this Russell whole. Russell Simmons doing Coke B? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, As he, he saw, so, you know, was was there at the genesis of a lot of stuff. Um, which gave him, you know, a sort of, you know, authority, a, a, a real authority. And then to be on the other side in the nineties, making the deals and stuff like that, he definitely got to see both sides. And that's why, you know, he, be, he, he had such credibility as like, you know, a historian and an interviewer and he's, you know, he was a good interviewer. Yes. I mean, he's one of the best ever, you know? I yeah. mean, he also, he also worked at it, too, you know? Like anyone, like all of us, you know, he had to work at being better at their craft. But that was something that he did. You know, he studied the game. He learned how to be better all the time. And, you know, like Chico said, like, I remember as a kid, you know, the Gas Face video is one of my favorite videos and songs of all time by Third Base. And then right. come to find out, Combat's up in the Gas Face video. You know, his history in the game is just... It's there's not many people like that, you know, have gone through so many generations of hip hop who know so much, who have so much of the culture, who had, you know, that geek side in them as well. Because combat, you know, would go toe to toe with anyone. I still haven't read Sandman to this day. And he used to get on me all to the time about that, like all day about, yo, why haven't you read Sandman yet? Yo, woo, 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 you sleeping. And, you know, we would just always talk about comics, movies. You know, Chico says, you know, old samurai films, any type of geek culture combat was down with it and yeah 
I mean, and that actually is also like when we're talking about like the coming out of the eighties or whatever, like that was that was one of the things that I really liked about the get down or whatever was that it showed all those elements that also uh you know are part of hip hop, which is like all that pop culture stuff, like you know. I mean, again, everyone knows, like, you know, obviously, like, the Wu-Tang Clan and stuff like that. But, you know, um, yeah, all that, the, the, the Shaw Kung Brothers Fu movies. Yeah. And the Shaw Brothers, exactly. All that stuff was part of it. And if you listen to, you know, early 80s and late 70s hip-hop, I mean, there's comic book references. There's, you know, movie references, like, constantly out the... Uh, you know, I mean, obviously, hip-hop has always had its finger on pop culture and is pop culture. But... Um, you know, just uh, he he embodied that. Yeah, and it's like, you know, it's like we saying, like we've been saying since the beginning, and like Combat, you know, saw before all of us even, you know, like I remember when he first hit me, I was like, yo, we got to do this show. And I was like, yo, that's crazy. And then, you know, once we started and he was like, yo, you got this, Ben, you know, you, Chico, take this over. And then we got Tatiana and Jamie down and it just was like, boom. But, you know, to see that from beforehand and also to be that type of person because, he was like the type of people like combat reminds me of, you know, this kid I grew up with who was like my big brother, not my brother, you know, who I grew up with, who was like the coolest dude, like this dude played football. You know, he also like everything like that. But, you know, he was straight jock, but then would come over and play like the Robotech, you know, role playing game with me and be like, yo, this is the illest shit right here, B, you know. And so it's like that was the type of person he was who could, you know, talk to everyone. And that's what, you know, Fan Bro Show has always been about is that we just always show you that, you know, geeks aren't that, you know, stereotypical geek. You know, there's so many people who are geeks who for a long time probably just didn't want to talk about it. Like me, I was that type of person. I grew up, you know, straight up geek. But as I got older, I didn't really talk about it that much until I met people like Combat, you know, and aside from my close friends, of course. But then you meet people like Combat, like Dallas, and you're like, oh, these dudes are straight geeks too, you know? Right. And and so then you start, you know, okay, let's talk about this stuff. And so, you know, we were like, I wouldn't say that we were definitely not the first, but we were, you know, one of the early people in this, you know, realm who were just talking geek culture. But at the same time, like, yo, we chill as shit, be like, you know, we ain't on that, you know, like geek stuff. You know, we cool. You know, we listen to music. We go out. We've been, you know, in this game for a long time. We got all kind of sides to us. Well, geek is chic, <laughs> and Reggie saw it early. You know, early. Yeah. And, I mean, I, we, we could go on forever. There, there's like a, a couple more things I definitely want to say about you know the brother is that you know like I said I, I said this at his memorial, and I mean like Chico said the memorial was insane. It was like 700 plus people there. You know, so many different people from all kind of walks of life are paying tribute, and. You know, for all that's being said about him, you know, all that stuff, you know, he was still a human being. You know, he was a family man. You know, he had issues like every single one of us, you know, like as positive and everything as he was. You know, we went through it. We all went through it. You know, we were brothers. We argue and fight like brothers. And then we make up like brothers. And he was just, you know, he was a human being above all. And that's what I want people to understand. It's like nobody, you know, is that different from us. All of us are human out here. All of us are trying to make it. All of us are, you know, trying to figure it out. And I don't even like saying trying. You know, all of us are figuring it out. All of us are making it, you know. And I don't want people to ever think that he's just, you know, like something that you can't do these same things or that, you know, oh, my God, look at all the stuff he did in his life. I'm never like that. It's like. 
you know, everyone has their own path and everyone can contribute to this. Everyone can, you know, shine their light upon the world. So I just want everybody to always do that. And, you know, that's something he would say. Like, I got to talk to him, you know, I talked to him all the time, of course, and I talked to him before he passed, and I was just thanking him so much for everything because he's responsible for a lot of the places I am in life. Like, he really helped me out through some really tough times. And then just everything that, you know, like him starting Fan Bros has led me to the places where I am, has led all of us to the places where we are. And so I got to thank him for that. And he's just telling me how proud he is of me and how proud. And I'm just like, yo, man, nah, man. Because, you know, I was like, yo, we'd be arguing. He's like, man, fuck all that. You know, it's like, I'm just proud of you. I'm just, you know, happy for you. And I was just so thankful, you know, for him to say that and for me to be able to tell him thank you for everything he did for me personally and for the culture in general. I mean, and, and just as a final, like, just thing I want to point out, you know, he was grinding in the trenches as far as in the early days of, you know, podcasting. And he's definitely, mm-hmm. you know, as much a podcast pioneer as like someone like Mark Marin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I definitely am really glad that in 2017, you know, if you haven't listened to Mogul, you should Ooh. definitely go listen to Mogul. He find, I mean, not that obviously he accomplished like a tremendous amount with um, Combat Jack, but Mogul was like this breakthrough thing. I mean, you can go read like, you know, the New Yorker magazine has, you know, articles about it. I mean, it was definitely, you know, one of the absolute top podcasts of um, 2017. And one of, one of the interesting things is they were trying to figure out who to do next yeah um on mogul and i I honestly don't know what's gonna happen with that but i think i saw this floated somewhere they should do they should do mogul the the reggio say story yeah i I fully endorse that you know me and uh mr chris morrow have been talking about it before you know we were talking about all the different people we could do it on and you know who they should do it on but i mean now the obvious choice is obviously you know yeah combat jack reggio say there's no like no other way that you know you can continue mogul and like chico said if you haven't heard mogul you need to go listen to that right now because that joint is incredible piece of work like they put their all into it and it shows it is just one of the best podcast series you'll ever hear it's absolutely beautiful and shout out to him you know like we said, we could talk about the brother all day and we'll be talking about him in the months, weeks, years to come. Of course, you know, there'll probably be more on this show at some point. But, you know, for now, you know, we got to talk about one other thing that's happening very soon. And I mean, I'm just so happy to finally be able to talk about this. Like we've been hinting at it, you know, dropping little things here and there. But now it's finally here. You all know what's coming. Black Panther is dropping February 16th. But mm-hmm. I need a little drum roll here. Nice. There we go. Crown ah. Wakanda. You've been hearing about it. It's here February 15th, 7 p.m. at the Alamo Draft House Theater in Brooklyn. Crown Wakanda. Let me say it again. It's a celebration, biatches, because we are doing it big. The Fan Bro Show is teamed up with, oh my God, the list already. The NAACP of Brooklyn, Black Girl Nerds, Blurds Meet, OK Player, OK Africa to bring you Crown Wakanda, a celebration of Black Panther. That night, everyone, Black Tie Affair, Red Carpet, 
all that. We need you in your African wares, all your African designers, you know, all that just stunning cosplay, whatever, however you want to bring it. We are celebrating Black Panther, Alamo Draft House Theater, 7 p.m. Brooklyn, Thursday night. Tickets on sale now. Check the Instagram at Crown Wakanda, the Twitter at Crown Wakanda, at Fanbro Show, at Black Girl Nerds, at everybody because it's going down. Check the hashtag Crown Wakanda. Chico, anything else do I need to say? Well, yeah. So, how do people get tickets? Like, can they get tickets through the Alamo box office or just through the Crown Wakanda? Like, how do people get tickets to this? Well, check the Twitters at Fanbro Show, at Crown Wakanda, Instagram at Crown Wakanda, the hashtag at Crown Wakanda. You can't get tickets through the Alamo Draft House Theater. You have to get tickets through us or one of the aforementioned partners. And there will be a link to do that all over the internet, so you don't need to worry. You know, as soon as you hear this show, you'll know where to get tickets at. And this is this is going to be a gala affair. And actually, I've actually been going to the Alamo Draft House almost exclusively. Mm-hmm. It's a great theater, and, um, you know, it's one of those theaters where you can eat and drink during the... Uh, during the movie, it's in downtown Brooklyn, right behind Junior's, right by the DeKalb Avenue stop. Um, it's near where the Duffield used to be, which when I was coming up was like, you know, that was like a scary theater where you went and saw, you know, movies and they were like, there was like knife play and stuff during the movies. Russell Simmons but, might have been in a bat smoking some dust. Right, exactly. But now... Um, you know, it's uh, you know, it, it it's a it's a really dope theater. The screens are big, the sound is good, and they have a bar there, and they serve drinks during the movie. But the uh, you know, the servers are like ninjas. I mean, like they they they're very unobtrusive. It doesn't bother the movie, and um, you know, it was nice to be able to just get out of the theater and then go get you know a drink and you know scream about the. Uh, you know, scream about the movie you just saw with your friends in 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 a bar that actually has a huge uh, wax museum in it. That's really dope. Mm-hmm. And so you know, after you do that, we're gonna have an after party in Brooklyn. You know, I'll be spinning. You know, OK Player, OK Africa involved. So who else knows what's to show up? We got some you know designers, some fashion designers, some art celebrating Wakanda. All this. I mean, it's going to be an insane event you do not want to miss this crown wakanda we've been talking about i mean everyone has been talking about black panther the hype is unreal right now i mean it broke records in fandango uh you know with 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 pre-sales i mean all right i i want to say this because i said this last year probably around this time you know i was like yo black panther is going to be the biggest marvel movie ever i said it on this show because i wanted people to be able to Go back and hear it again, you know, because I said that then. It's no question now, but now. I mean, it's funny how, like, you know, you've seen all these, uh, you know, the other side of the geek culture, you know, t- giving all these reasons why it's selling so many tickets, you know. Maybe they wanted a free poster. You know, I don't know why people are pre-ordering. It's really bad that you pre-order. Yeah, that that blankness was my blank stare right there. You know, you you, you needed to hear that pause because it was just like, what? Like it's bad. yeah, I, I, I like now? the the poster that yeah, like like really that was it. Like a free poster was the reason that uh that that people got their ticket. No, I mean everybody has been. I mean basically the big problem is once Black Panther comes, there's really no reason that uh you know for for people to hope that there's no nuclear holocaust. 
everyone's been on online has basically been like you know to trump like yo you know can you at least wait till black panther before you start a nuclear war with korea <laughs> i mean all that like we we you know none of that's gonna happen because this is going down you know I mean, the, the power that people have spoken, the power of the world is spoken. It's happening. So once again, Crown Wakanda, February 15th at the Alamo Draft House Theater. It's going down. Big shout outs to everybody involved in this. Thank you for your support. Make sure you check the hashtag. Make sure you follow Crown Wakanda on Instagram, on Twitter, everywhere you know, you know, it's there. Facebook, all that good stuff. You know, for those people who still on Facebook. But yeah. It's going down. You know, we got to take a quick break right here. We'll have much more about this in the show. Oh, oh, man. Before we get out of here, though, happy born day to Tatiana King Jones up in the house. That's why you haven't heard her yet, because she's out celebrating her birthday out here in the spaceways. But we might have to bring her back real, real quick, you know, just to do a little something special for y'all. But, you know, you can check that out Hey, yo, Internet, it's Kim Sonian, the ghost producer of the Fanbro Show, right here with my man Don Will. Yep. And we need you to rate, subscribe, and comment on our iTunes page, our SoundCloud page, and of course, check out fanbros.com. For what, Don Will? What do they need to check out? For all the hottest updates in geek culture. What? I over enunciated for diction and clarity. Bang. Welcome back, Internet. So I hope you've been enjoying this episode of Fan Bro Show, but it is about to get turned up in here. It's 2018, and you know we had to start the year off right. We got a special, special guest tonight. You know, this brother, he's done it all. He's a talk show host, a podcaster. He's King Ether of Twitter. <laughs> Three-time in a row winner of Around the Horn. <laughs> the former co-host of ESPN's Highly Questionable, and he's about to debut a new show with Pablo Torres on ESPN. Let's all welcome Bomani Jones to the spaceship. Woo! Oh, wow. That's actually applause. That's impressive. Woo! Yeah. You know, we got sound effects, all that. Well, Bomani, you're impressive. I mean, what do you expect? I'll, I'll take that. I'll say thank you on that. All right. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm not just trying to butter you up. I'm serious, man. Like, you, what, what, did, what did you call him, Ben? I mean, King Ether? Like, you, you have a um, gourmet level of ether when it comes to the Twitters. When you really go in on an, a, a subject or a person, you really do it to with such finesse. And I appreciate that. So, yes. Well, I'll say thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Setting off, you know, me and you, we first met in person um, on the Combat Jet show. And that was the first time I found out that you were from Houston. But you grew up in uh, Waller. Nah, see, nobody. That's the thing. I did not grow up there. I went to school there. My parents taught at Prairie View. So I went to school out there because I grew up over like Jones Road and Grant Road, not far from Willowbrook Mall. And my parents were a bit apprehensive of the idea of me being in such overwhelmingly white schooling. Mm -hmm. So 
I rode out there with them, and that's where I went to school. And it's funny. Like, I have the hardest time explaining to people, no, I am from Houston. I'm just the rare person who um, parents decide to have them go to worse schools than the one that they are zoned to. Now, it's funny because I was about to ask you about that. Because when you said, you know, Waller and I mean, when you say Northside in general, I always say, like, you know, are you really from Houston? <laughs> and I'm sure you got that growing up. Yeah, so. I do. Get it growing up. Get it growing up. Now sick of it. The problem is I don't have a satisfactory answer for anybody. Because part of it is <laughs> cats on the South Side have no respect for anything on the North Side to begin with. Right. So, None at all. Yeah, right. So it doesn't even matter what you say. Like, unless you're talking about some real, like, hard scrabble stuff. Right. Like Fifth Ward, Acres Homes or something like that. Oof. They're not really they really not trying to hear what you're talking about anyway. But I'm like, what am I supposed to say when the address says Houston, comma, Texas is the only answer that I have for you? <laughs> well, you know, some people trying to defend the North Side. So, you know, I was wondering if you were one of those, you know, people yeah. who just. Yeah, I, I mean, what what is so interesting to me about it is that like the personality and sensibilities that people have of black Houston in particular is entirely about the south side of Houston and what's hard to explain to people who are not from Houston is that the north side and the south side are probably like it's like a Manhattan Brooklyn sort of scenario they are two entirely different places Mm. like different styles different vibes all of it and so you go from one to the other you're really in a different spot. The thing is, if you're on the South side, you really don't have any reason to go to the North side. If you're on the North side, there are reasons to go to the South side. And so you always <laughs> got to deal with these South side cats and they, and they jibber jabber. Oh, I'm so glad you put it like that. Thank you very much. You know, because that's, you know, I grew up on the South side in, in Trey Ward. So it's, you know, we, we yeah, especially y'all, y'all don't, and the oh. thing about y'all is y'all don't really know nothing outside of third war. Mm. Like, no, <laughs> Once it gets beyond third wars, y'all are out of asses. Galleria. If it, that's about yeah, it. If it ain't on 288, y'all are not. <laughs> I'm just being like, quiet because I ain't hear nothing about no Fulton Street, no Nostrand Avenue. Like, unless you're talking Brooklyn, I don't know what y'all talking about. <laughs> yeah, I, I really ain't got much for you on that one neither. I ain't been living here that damn long. <laughs> All right. Well, after you left Houston, you graduated, you know, you got out of that desolate wasteland of the North Side. You went to Clark University, you know. Like Clark and Atlanta University. HBCU love, by the way, to your parents too, man. HBCU love. Indeed. But not Howard, you know, like that... The Mecca? Well, let me tell you how Uh, that went. And it worked out well for me that I did not go to Howard. But I no, I had told myself like at the end of like my junior year of high school, if you were to ask me the three schools I wanted to go to, Xavier, Howard, and Southern. Those are the three. My Mm. I'm from a family of Southernites. Um, I was trying to do like that pre-med thing at the time, and that's the Xavier program. And then Howard Mm -hmm. just seemed like it would be a cool move to make. Now, my father at the time worked at Clark Atlanta and so that clearly was not on the list, right? Like I'm not going to school <laughs> where my dad works. And then I had to go to Atlanta with them for something on campus and they had me meet with somebody. And honestly, I got on campus and did a look around and it was like, yo, the scenery here is incredible. And then I talked to my brother who's 13 years older than me. And he was like, oh yeah, now Clark's the move for you to make. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. And so that's what I did. Okay. And I, mean, I understand that because my two were Clark and Howard, and I just ended up on Howard at the luck of a draw, and you know I, I love it and thank God for it. But you know it would have worked out either way, I'm sure. Yeah, that is the thing. Though. When did you when did you go to Howard? Right. I was there in the uh, mid late nineties, ninety 
five, four to ninety nine. See, and that's the thing about gold. Uh, it's cool. It happens. Though. It happens to everybody, baby. Um, <laughs> but like, I was, you heard, you heard the numbers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, come on, man. I went to HBCU, dog. Like, like we we refer to ourselves by the year we enter, yeah. not by the year that we exit. Yes, like that. That's. <laughs> That's it. But the key on that, the whole thing what? is, man, I mean, we all got partners that didn't graduate, but they still are friends from college. So why are we going to exclude them, right? Just because they had some hard times. You really shouldn't. I'm also a Howardite. And, you know, oh, Puffy yeah, yeah. is considered claim, a Howardite. Buddy. He didn't graduate, but he's still a Howardite. But no, I, um, a lot of people. I, got, I was in Atlanta yeah. in 97 to 01. Like, what better time was there to be in Atlanta? I was. It was just like post-Freak Nick, but... Not well. The last freak I'm say, is that still discussion was in April of '98. '99, it was more police than it was people. So, but like, uh, but '94 and '95, those are the ones. <laughs> like, those are the ones that the barbershop tapes went around for, and those are the ones that people knew. But it was a great time to be in Atlanta. Like that, this was as it was blowing up. It was kind of before it got to what it is now, which I think is almost like a little. It's kind of almost outgrown itself in a lot of ways you know everybody had the same bright idea go to atlanta right. it was still kind of novel that notion in the mid 90s that that was going to be the move and like as atlanta became the center of hip-hop and everything else we were there for the the beginnings of that to where i come back in 03 after i've been in grad school and everything had changed right like this this was this was now becoming the place and it was clear but we were there while it still kind of felt it felt a little fresher mm. when we were there like a bit more organic Mm. Okay, okay, okay. So, you know, from what Ben has told me about you, because I know he knows you much more than I know you personally, but you're not, not really a comic book guy, but you are, but you're a pop culture critic. So, you know, the waves that are coming in and out and what's, what's really popping, or I would hope, you know, was what, what everyone else is into. So like, are you into, or are you, well, are I mean, you not on the wave so of comic book So my right brand now? nerd was not the comic back book brand nerd. I was more baseball card variety of nerd. Mm. And so, you know, I go check the movies, mm. you know, here and there. I'm trying to think of the last one of those that I saw. Don't ask me to actually do it. Cause it nah, I, Nah, I don't think Did I saw that. Did you see Thor? One. If you give me the name, the last one I saw to probably wind up oh. being embarrassing. And I also admit that I am kind of. Don't nah, say. Nah, we ain't going don't back say Chris right? like, I saw a couple <laughs> of Iron Men or whatever. But <laughs> but the thing for me on all of this is I'm okay. so frustrated with the movie industry in general and the fact that everybody's decided we don't need to come up with anything new. We're just going to try to give people these pieces of their childhood and then adapt them. I feel like that's just so incredibly lazy. Right. Like, you know, and so I get it for a lot of people. It's just mm. like, OK, cool. I've always wanted to see whatever this thing is that it happens to be. But I'll like this is almost like if in music, all of a sudden everything was a cover song. We're like, yo, we ain't got to come up with no new songs. We got all these dope old songs here. Mm. So that's how you feel about it. You, you're saying that all these movies are really just cover songs, really. There's not anything anything new or fresh so well, also, what would also you a key thing want is, to see i'm not movie guy in that way like i'm just not like like i'm not i'm not judging okay. anybody for whatever <laughs> it is the thing that they happen to be into like i'm not i'm not super movie guy in that way but i, I honestly didn't realize how many people were into comic books like this growing up like i feel like people did a, <laughs> people were keeping this on the low yeah. in a way that i was unaware of bruh yes. <laughs> 
Absolutely, because it wasn't as accepted as it is now. And even now, it's kind of funny. Even now, I still feel like people treat you funny when you say you read the comic books, but everyone's all open when you say, oh, you yeah, watch no, like, Avengers like, this is or the whatever. Thing. I had no idea. Like, my best friend growing up, he was always into comic books, and he had, you know, his squad of folks. Like, that was their thing. But the way this was looking, man, you think people's passing around comic books like dope, man. Like, I I, I, this, I was just like, oh, okay, cool. See, all of y'all know all these things. Okay, I got to sit there. I got to be at work. And Shannon talking to the other guys that will work on the radio show and they start talking about comic books and I'm just looking around and I'm like, I'm telling you, man, y'all were not out and proud about this stuff when we was in school. <laughs> like, I don't know who flipped it up and made it okay for y'all, but this was not the case at the time. I think, like, as a kid, I definitely was, you know? And then, like, when I got into, like, high school and at Howard, I didn't know, you know, anyone else who was a real geek like that. So I kept it on the low because, you know, it's Howard. Like, you can't walk around with a comic book on the yard. I mean, yeah. back then, at least. Like, that's, yeah. you know, that's not what's <laughs> popping. And so I kept it low. And then, like, as this resurgence happened, and, it, you know, I just got grown. It was like, fuck it. Like, you know, this is what I love, so... I think that's a lot of people. Yeah, I think that is a certain power of adulthood. I think that also there are things that you do in your childhood that you almost kind of detach yourself from. And then you get to be growing and realize, okay, but I still like this. And there's Mm -hmm. a certain liberation in adulthood at the moment that you realize you just get to like whatever it is that you want to like. Like when you get past the point of trying to be what you think an adult is, and then you just like, nah, this is what I do. Word. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that's like that is so real because i fell off it like i said it like i fell off from buying comics at howard and i wasn't buying them for years even after howard and then one day i just wandered into a shop picked up a random comic and it was you know right back to buying them every week i'm so. surprised that you couldn't find like because one thing i found about clark is no matter what you were on there was some pocket of somebody that was going to happen to be mm-hmm. on it like i'm surprised you didn't find like the the, the circle of on the low comic book people Oh no, I did. Right, I did. but see, you did, but you wasn't really. No, nah, it wasn't vibing like, with that. Them like it that. Was like, like okay, like like me and Tanahasi, you know, been cool since Howard, and we used to argue about right. music all day because I'm a DJ, and so everyone knew me about you know DJing. But I can't even think if we really ever you know got into it about comics because it just might be like it just never came up. You know, and you weren't like I said, you weren't walking around with a box on the yard, and and I didn't have a X-Men T-shirt back then yeah. or anything like that. So it's just, yep, right. And when I was at Howard, like I graduated in '09, and when I was at Howard, it's I would say it wasn't as visible, but there were definitely these pockets that that you speak of, Bomani, that. But it, I always felt like it was like one or two people. It wasn't like a force, like we was walking down the street <laughs> like a gang or anything like that. I don't think it was like that, but. I, I, again, I just think it, it yeah, got like, more And I don't think that being a, into comic books makes you a dork necessarily, but I will say that the internet has created a circumstance that has allowed the average dork to find out that they are not the only dorks and they can kind of build communities <laughs> around their situation <laughs> and then get together. I mean, you know, but, but, but like all the, the one thing the internet does is it lets you know, for better or worse, no matter what you're into, somebody else is too. Mm-hmm. That's true. And, you know, you're going to have people in your mention saying, why are you calling me a dork? Why are you putting the emphasis on the D? I mean, sometimes, dork? yeah, I like, I like the word dork. I've been trying to bring it back all by myself for a while now. <laughs> you and me, though. I, I was doing it first. I feel pretty confident. That's hilarious. 
No, I don't feel any type of way. I know, I know a lot of people, that's another thing when we, we talk about labels and the words we use to describe ourselves and describe what we are and our passions. Like we, there's always this ongoing conversation around the word geek and dork and nerd or blurred, black nerd, the, the kind of amalgamation of those two. Do How do you feel about labels and, and that sort of thing? Do you think they're helpful or helpful? Oh, it's interesting because like nerd type stuff has always been interesting for me because I've always been, an, I've been a nerd about things that people would be considered, like considered cool, right? Like I am a music nerd. I'm a sports nerd in a different sense. But like the notion of being a nerd to me is not necessarily, like it's not a pejorative term, right? Like, right, like right. for better or worse, man, you talking about a nerd, man, you know who we talking about, right? Like, like if you, <laughs> if you can separate yourself from the judgment that people normally have when they offer the term, you know exactly who it is that we talking about here. We, 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 you know, we know it. The, the whole, the blurred world is always real. It's interesting to me because I find that people often, not all, but often who refer to themselves as blurred are people who did not like actually grow up around black people. Because if you grew up around black people, you just a nerd. Right. Like, like, mm, like right. There's, there, there, there's a nerdy black world. Also, I just like for me myself, I feel like once you become an adult, you got to stop being so offended by stuff people called you in high school. OK, <laughs> but they're not really supposed to be a factor at this point. <laughs> yeah, like, come on, man. Everybody going to get on you about something in high school. That's the nature of it. It's the like most vicious ecosystem of the world. Like after a point, you got to like, OK, like if if you kick it on some nerd stuff, then that's cool. That's what you do. OK. I mean, you know, so well said. And, okay, you were talking earlier that you're like a sports nerd and also a music nerd. And I know that you're like a huge fan, as am I, of uh, Prince. Yes. So do you remember where you were when you found out of his passing? Oh, I'll never forget where I was. Um, I was in the hotel room in Paris. I, um, I, I went to Paris to do an interview for Playboy with Tadahasi Coates. <laughs> nice. And... And you remember, so Paris, I think it was six hours ahead in time when I was there. And so I'm over there and I see the thing at, on TMZ or one of those sites um, about there being, you know, the people being sent to Paisley Park and all this mm-hmm. stuff. And so I reached out to some people who would know things to find out mm-hmm. because there were some people that I would need to tell before the world found out because I knew how mm-hmm. they would be affected. And so um, I found out before like the official announcement came, I found out. And so then I made, you know, those calls and let people know, like, look, you need to go ahead and leave work. Like, you know, like this is this is this is the worst case scenario. Like this is what it is. Um, And then after that, it was like I basically immediately had to start writing because I was like I was there for Playboy. I hit Playboy up and I was just like, if you want something on Prince, let me know. And it's wild when you write something like that because you, you don't realize it until it comes up. But like, I feel like I had kind of been preparing my whole life for that moment. Right. Like I did not need to research or look stuff up in order to write about Prince dying. And so like an hour and a half later, I had something done and then sent out and then went from there. But that was wild because I was a whole world away from everybody. That's, Mm. that's, that's interesting. Does writing come easy to you? Is this something? Yeah. Yeah, go ahead. Yes. Um, It comes. Well, one thing about writing when it like if when writing comes easy to you, the problem with it is like I've evolved past this, but I just had a tendency to just fire stuff off real fast and then send it off and not really give myself much 
credit for the capability of like improving things, mm. right? Like you just do it and it's just blasted off and then you just kind of finish and you kind of talk yourself into all kinds of rationalizations about not making it better. Like, nah, this is just how I was feeling at the time. <laughs> you know, like you, you write, you know, you write, like you write only by feeling. But the thing is when I started writing professionally, mm-hmm. um, you got to write when it's not easy to right. And and that changes up the whole process. Like it becomes a whole different thing. Like being a professional writer is learning to write about things you don't care about, is writing about things at times where you don't feel like doing them and everything else. And so even with it being kind of easy, it's harder now to do than it's ever been because the standard is much higher. Like what I feel like I have to do is much different where before it was just, I'm just going to fire something off. Now you just sit there and it's like, it, it's, it's, it becomes very few things become more fun to do as you learn more about how mm. to do it. Normally it's more fun when you just fuck right. around. Mm. <laughs> Ben's like, damn, I got to fuck around some more. <laughs> No, I fully yeah. agree because, like, you know, Romani, I've been out in uh, Los Angeles and I'm working in a writer's room now. And it's like a completely different learning experience just being in a room, you know, than anything I've ever done before. And it made it where, like, yeah, it's not as easy to write because before I would just like write like blah, 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 you know. And now it's like, oh, but there's some not rules, but just ways to be dope that you really got to pay attention to. Yeah, yeah. And you get better, but it's not necessarily more fun. No. So what do you do? <laughs> you what know? do you do when, whether you're writing about sports or music or whatever the case may be, where it's just not fun or maybe it's a very emotional topic? Like, what do you do to help get yourself through that? Well, here's what you do. You get on TV <laughs> and then you only have to write when you absolutely feel like <laughs> Like, I, um... I am not the Andre 3000 of writing. However, I absolutely take the Andre 3000 approach when it comes to writing, which is I give you, I try to give you four things a year. It may wind up being three things a year, but I'm going to try to give you four things a year. But those four things I give you in that year are going to be well, first, Like it's not going to well, be Well, first of all, thank you for the title of the show. We appreciate that. But um, that's definitely it. But so, so you're saying you know, set realistic expectations. <laughs> I don't know why I'm trying to translate things you're saying, but it sounds like that's what you're saying. <laughs> yeah. Well, well, the thing for me is I am afforded the luxury that I don't have to write if I don't okay. feel like it. You know, and so for me, that's a big thing. Now, the thing on the other end of that, though, is that like the quality control ramps up when that happens. So if I'm not going to write very often, then when I do it, it needs to be like fierce. And like the editing process I mean, it's not terrible, but it's not fun. And and like writing for real comes with a remarkable love, like a lot of self-flagellation, mm-hmm. right? You're doing a lot mm-hmm. of beating up of your own mm-hmm. stuff. And I don't always find that process to be fun. I don't have the best gauge in the world of how good things are. And I don't like the idea of publishing something that isn't good. Like I am not a perfectionist, but writing will make you a perfectionist because yes. it's so permanent. Like it's always going to be there. Your name's always going to be on it. People are always going to see it. And when you like, when you write, so there's nothing like I was talking to somebody about this yesterday that there's uh, nothing like when you write something bad and people hit you up and you, uh, you know, like before the social media sphere where people just send you like mm-hmm. angry tweets or whatever. But when people had to be at least motivated to write an email, you'd always get some people that are just, you know, popping out their ass right. talking about whatever, but it was a bit more of a sophisticated, a uh, group of people that you got feedback from and there was nothing like when you read something and people told you why your piece was bad and you looked at it and you were like yeah you're right <laughs> oh that's that you hurts know, so like, much 
Yeah, like yeah, you're right. And then another person. And so I can all I can live with the fact that they're right, but it's there. It's always there. <laughs> you know, like this is just how I was feeling on this mm. one day. And now this is there forever. You sound really free. For some reason, you just sound so... I mean, I, I, everyone has their own personal chains, but I feel like you don't have the same type of chains people tend to do as writers. I'm, I'm a I'm a writer-editor, so I, I unfortunately edit myself as I'm writing. And it's, as you said, self-flagellation. It, it really hurts. Yeah, I do that. So, like, my approach, like, when I write, what I typically do is I don't know how this thing is going to turn out. Like, I'm not good at ballpark and stuff from the very beginning like outlining and stuff like that like i'm not very practiced in those things i probably could be better if i did and there's some things that if it's a major like larger thing i can do that with but i don't really find myself preparing to write in that way what i tend to do is if i have a thought about something write it down Mm -hmm. as it comes right like i don't know where that thought is necessarily going to go i don't know where this paragraph is necessarily going to go but i'm gonna write it and then after i got a few of those together sometimes they're written and you know sometimes they run together sometimes it's just going to be kind of random ones you know this thought here this thought there whatever um maybe i keep it maybe i don't but i just need to have it in front of me and then i can figure out how to engineer it and how to put everything together to try to you know make it um into something but that's what i have to do i just have to write i have to write something down and hope i get a good thought or whatever because i can very often start like Mm -hmm. when i talk to an editor i'm starting with some you know kind of thesis to give them what it is that i'm going to do but then after that you know how exactly are we going to do it and is the thesis going to change and everything else like it's a it's kind of a wonderland of sorts for me beginning because i'm honestly just not organized so i get to the end just like everybody else does and be like oh damn (laughs) look at that Well, this brings your legend closer to earth, (laughs) you know, Uh, everyone has these, and this is actually really good that you're sharing this. Like I said, everyone does, particularly people who are very successful, people who are very public, they have these ideas that either you're just very perfect person or you're this deity that knows everything that you're going to do, when it's going to happen and how it's going to sound. And you're telling me, no, that's really not the case. Yeah, but like my... I suppose humanity in a sense in this is a little weird because I like raw talent. I got it right. But it took me a long time. Like I did a Ted talk about this, that it took me a long time to figure out why exactly it was that raw talent wasn't enough. And like the different ways that you need to figure out how to get the most out of it, how to organize it, how to, you know, how to use some of the tricks that perhaps less talented people might use. They're not crutches, they're devices, they're helpful, they're tools. And so, you know, like I've had to learn and figure out how to do things in the ways that is best for me. Like I can jump into new stuff and get onto it pretty easily, but I've done my good fair share of failing uh, in front of people and, you know, in other ways. Like I've done that. Um, And in doing that, and I think I've, I've tried my best over time to be very transparent about the failures that I've had. The thing is, the failures that I had now, like I used to write for ESPN.com's page too. They did renew my contract after a year. That used to be kind of a defining part of the narrative that was surrounding my career. The only thing is that thing happened with page two in 2007. Like wow. that's 10 years and change ago. Um, you know, like I flunked out of graduate school. That's, you know, 13 years ago now. Like all those, all those things have happened. It just, I think for a lot of people who are now becoming familiar with me later, they don't necessarily know those stories and know those things. Like the people who have been following me for a long time, that's part of it. And then the part of why a lot of them rock with me is they've been there while some of these mm. things have gone wrong. 
um people who come around new and like later i do think yeah it might be easy for them i think the guy on tv is something that people have they have all kinds of ideas about who they are and i remember when i first started doing stuff that put me around different the guys on tv you realize how decidedly yeah. regular all of them are. <laughs> <laughs> like like the 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 um the aura around them goes away very quickly because what you realize is you become the guy on tv you was a regular dude before you was a dude on tv they were true too- very true i mean <laughs> word all right we were, ben I you mean, scared you sound scared <laughs> it's not not so much i want to say about that but you know it's like you basically said it all at the same time so i want to ask you a question because you know we were talking about prince and you know great people we lost and we recently ran into each other at the memorial for combat jack you know aka reggie osay and i just want to ask you you know what did he mean to you and like to the culture in general yeah so the thing for me with reggie was reggie used to listen to this radio show i did called the morning jones on sirius And we were on in the we were on seven to ten in the morning. Now the thing about Sirius at that time was Sirius strongly recommended to all the stations not to put your best content in the morning because Howard Stern was paying the bills, right? Like, mm-hmm. like a you know significant number of subscribers are there for Howard, so you don't like they, they're looking at it like that's not a fight that you're going to be able to win, which made total sense. Well, Reggie used to call up to the show and would listen for about an hour or so every day. And what he told me was he got serious for Howard Stern, but then he would jump off Howard and then come listen to us. So to me, that is like as high a compliment as anybody could give to what you were doing with your radio show. If they're Mm -hmm. turning off the reason that they have the service in order to check you out, you know? And so we, you know, we would talk about different things and stay in touch. I'd like, I was, Rough, I was familiar with his background because he would mention those things like on the air. But I honestly, it wasn't until like a couple of years ago that I really understood like what he was in the music game and around those, you know, around those times and what the law firm was and everything else. Um, but he was always like really encouraging of what we were doing on that show in a way that felt very, very personal. Like this is one of those for me, like I, I knew Ralph Wiley before he died and you'd be like, yo, Ralph really rock with me. And then you realize there were all these different people that a cat like that was helping out and was encouraging in these similar ways. Like one time he told me, I'll never forget this, that after I started doing TV, he was like, if you can get into the money and you ain't sold us out yet, there wow. really might be hope for the future. Like that was the, you know, like that was the outlook that he had about all, you know, those sorts of things. And so like after he died, it was interesting to just look around and see how many people felt, you know, influenced in those ways. Like I've had friends hit me up and tell me about things they're going to try to do. They said, you know, like Reggie encouraged me to do Mm. this. I didn't even know they knew him. Mm. You know, like I was like I was perfect. Like I was totally unaware that they knew anything about him. But that that was their relationship with him also. And so it's always interesting to have somebody who can be like kind of this central node and can reach so many people. And the basis that person has for reaching those people is really one that's of encouragement, you know? And so like I've been in a room with Reggie and Noriega at the same time. And it's immediately after Reggie talks about how he had messed up this deal for Noriega. I don't even know the particulars of how he messed up this deal for Noriega, but he mentions this very like transparently about how he had done this. And then Noriega somehow winds up in the room. I think like unconnected to that is that revolt music conference in Miami and everything seemed to be cool, at least cool enough in that space. 
But that can only happen if even in the face of a giant mistake, you're a person that comports yourself in a way that right. like earns respect from people. And like what I really came away from the memorial service with was just the level of respect that he seemed to have earned from so many people that were wow. around him. I, I mean, yeah. Yeah. I, I just, it just reminds me just the way it looked, um, <laughs> particularly at the second memorial where it was more for the public. And I just was just flabbergasted at just the different levels of people there, regardless of, of age, regardless of, of place in society, career, what, I mean, it was everybody. It was truly representative of everybody. Yeah, like like I walked in there and saw all these white folks, and I was like, "Wait, what?" You know, and also that was before I realized that that was like a Buddhist spot because I was in one of the overflow rooms. Like my man packed the house, right? So you know, we were well, we were in the same overflow room. We in the overflow room. I'm looking on the wall, and I'm trying to figure out like I can't figure like it's Mandela and all these other people. I'm like, yo, but it's all with this same Asian dude. Where are we? I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't get what's going on here. I'm so terribly confused as to what's happening. And then I'm looking over and I'm seeing all these people in like all these different clothes. Like this is the only time I ever go to Memorial Service and I was checking people's sneakers. Right. Like it was just a, it was, it, was, it was just a different, it was a different vibe. And he was just clearly a man who had an impact that reach broadly and that's all you can hope for right like i really came out of there like whenever i go whatever it is i hope like hell that people are saying these kinds of things about me word up yeah and like you said you know so much of his life and his energy was just about encouragement and about you know putting people into the position and the places so they could achieve their dreams and so that's why i always remember him for that and just thank him for that and it was just crazy just like you said to see just the array of people who were up in there and who have reached out to me since who i've seen talking about it on twitter it's just been incredible and i hope i hope that's good for his people too because i think like i remember and this is slightly different but my father retired after my freshman year after my right after i graduated from uh college and i went to represent the family at some uh retirement gathering and I sat and I listened to everything that everybody had had to say. And I had no idea like the impact that he had had on people and like what his role was and everything. I really didn't get it until then because he wasn't one or isn't rather because he's still with us, but he didn't want to like beat his chest about that sort of thing, whatever it is. But like, there's something to be said for seeing the ways that other people like view your parents and like for his kids, I hope that there's something that they could get from just seeing like the real respect that all right. of us had for him. Cause your parents are your parents, you know, like you, you view them entirely through those lens. It's wild when you see that your parents still manage to have this impact on other people, you know, like there's a real, there's a real positive affirmation that you get from that. I think for him, I remember one time when he told me that like, I think it was his oldest or his second oldest son went to school one day and like he dropped them off or something, and some other kid was like, "Yo, your dad is Combat Jack," and mm-hmm. that's when he started realizing, you know, what his dad was doing. That's why yes. he, he was, yeah. <laughs> uh, you, you know, we called you at the top of the show. We called you the Ether King of Twitter, and because you deal with people and particularly trolls in a very specific manner, you have a very particular set of skills. <laughs> uh, taken for Twitter, if you will. 
but, but you, at the same time, you're still a big advocate and user of Twitter and social media in general. What do you think it's so great about Twitter and, and social media? Yeah, I got to say, I had as big a user as I used to be. Um, mm. So what I like, see, the thing with me and like dealing with trolls and stuff like that, a big part of it is I got on Twitter in 2009. This is when I'm hosting Midday Radio in uh, North Carolina. So yeah. um, I am, in effect, there just a dude on Twitter. Like, I'm not I'm not official in any sort of capacity. And so most of the people that I was interacting with on Twitter were like my folks, right? Or people who became my folks or all that stuff. That was basically yeah. it. Um, and then as the time went on, I started doing Around the Horn in 2010. And that's when it got interesting because now I am the guy on TV. And see, when you're the guy on TV... People stop looking at you as a person. You are an avatar. You are just an image. You are somebody that they scream at in their house. And they don't see no difference <laughs> between screaming at the television and screaming at you on the internet or whatever it was. And so at first, I was just totally fascinated by this idea because I had this base of followers who knew me as a regular dude. And that meant now they were seeing what happens when somebody sees you as the guy on TV. And so it was mm. kind of like it was all jokes for us, right? Like it's just like, wow, look at the ridiculous things that these people are saying. And they were so ridiculous. They would be based on things that I hadn't even necessarily said. And it's fairly well known, like at least the way I saw it at that time by the pe people who followed me. Like I'm a reasonable person. Like I'm not yeah. really looking for flaming hot takes or anything like that. And so more and more, I would just wind up with these people who just decided that they wanted to drop bombs on me. And... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, the thing about it is, bless your heart, if that's the call that you want to make. Um, but however, <laughs> I am not the one. Uh, there is not a single piece of evidence to indicate that I am the one. And I'm going to give it to you quick. Like, I'm not doing a whole lot of back and forth with people. Michael Smith said that to me one time. He called me up and he said, you know what I realized about you? He's like, you just go. You're not looking to do this for a long time. You try to get out of this as quickly as possible. He's 100% correct. I'm trying to knock you out with what? Like, if you come at me reasonably and have a question or a good point, I got no problem going back and forth. You try to scream at me like the dude on TV, man, the bear bite back. Like, people need to know that when they go to the zoo, the bear bite back. And so, come mess with the bear, the bear gonna bite back. The problem now is, and this really, I just, you know, peeped it over the last, you know, year and change. It got really hard on Twitter to tell when you were talking to an actual human being or not. Yes. And that is no fun. And so what I realized is I got all these bots coming at me. I misunderstood what a bot was in the first place. Um, but I got all these bots and things coming at me and I'm going back and forth. You know, back and forth. Like I'm going at them and they're not even people. And so like part of my explanation for some of the things I used to go back and forth with people about is some people agree with the crazies. They just too sophisticated to say that stuff out loud. And I still want them to hear me. Um, like that would be my thought about it, man. But then it's just like, yo, I started reading, you know, you start reading about how to plan with the bots was to kind of destabilize all this and build up this animus because people were just going to be so mad at each other all the time that I really did just start looking at it and just being like, okay, I can't help myself sometimes. But it was just like, hey, man, these ain't even people really anymore. Like, like this yeah. is just and if you I mean, if we're going to be real about it, man, you go on to Twitter now. It is a much more angry, toxic space than it was even a year ago. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. No doubt about it. And that's I recently, swag. Uh, I deleted it off my phone. You know, all those apps off my phone, all my social media apps the other day, because I just, you know, it's like I don't want to be able to check them all the time. 
And that's what you do when you're on there. And I feel you about like how toxic. And that's a great point you made because I don't think people realize like because people think bots, you know, are just trying to influence the election or whatever. But like you said, just to create that angry attitude in the air, you know, that influences people enough. And then when, you know, the elections and stuff roll around, you're already angry. You fall right into these other traps that are set by these politicians and stuff. So, and it's not feeling good. Really point. Like I have fun bombing on these people. Like I do it. And it's important. Yes. It's important to keep myself sane, man, because like I want to be able to exist in this space like everybody else does. Right. Like I want to be able to joke with my friends about stuff. I want to be able to have back and forth. I want to be able to meet people and all that. And it gets unwieldy. Like I have 440 something thousand followers or something like that. Right. Like it gets unwieldy at that point. And you can't really do it the way that you want to. The only way I can do it the way I want to is just to block these jokers out of here. But, man, it's just so easy. Like, it doesn't make me mad when I'm bobbing on these fools. It's just really, really easy. Like, people – I was talking to Katie Dolan about this uh, when we did something uh, for work the other day. And she said that she expected when she met me that she thought I'd be, like, really just kind of, like, an angry sort of person. And then she noticed <laughs> – but she said she realized very quickly upon meeting me, she's like, Oh wait, he's not getting worked up at all about this. This is just easy. Hmm. Yep. Hmm. Um. Well, you're you're speaking about Michael and Katie and all these people, and we got to ask you about you know the other thing at ESPN because this even goes back to Twitter and everything, like everything going on with like Jamel Hill and just women in media in particular. I mean, in particular, black women in media. Yes. Because other Let's people have said, this, yeah, other women have said the same things about you know our president and they didn't get all the reaction that she did. So how do you feel about that? Yeah. So, you know, this, this is, this gets a little delicate because I didn't run this interview past PR. So they don't get really mad if I said something <laughs> crazy. We're, we're not live. So we can yeah, edit yeah, anything no, but, that don't need to be. But there. yeah, I mean, I think that it is clear and it's impossible to avoid that a big part of why that blew up the way it did was specifically the person who said it. Yeah. Right. Yes. Like like that was that a lot of that had to do directly with her. Um, and I also say that part of it had to do with the very frank, plain language that was used to describe the situation. And those are terms that people are roundly uncomfortable with. Now, one thing I do think is important to note, and I'm not playing company man here, but I do see people get this wrong all the time. She was not suspended for what she said about Trump. Mm that has kind of been forgotten um, in this is that she was not suspended when she, what she said about Trump. Um, I think if they wanted to, they maybe could have, but that's not the way uh, that it went. But yes, women in media. So I think women in media have a general thing that I think is worth discussing and it can be, I think it can also then be particularized to black women in media. And it's probably fiercer in the ways that they deal with it. But I think for a lot of people, social media has taught us generally a lot about women's experiences that we did not know because Twitter in particular, because Facebook requires you to like match up like back and forth and stuff. Twitter allows you to kind of delve in and look at a broader set of things. And it allows you to eavesdrop on conversations that you might not have been aware of or did not know were going on before. And I as it related to matters of gender over the last, I'd say, 10 years ago, I would probably say 10 years ago, I was probably in line with the well-intentioned white person who knew that racism was a problem and did not believe himself or herself at all to be racist, um, but didn't really get how messed up racism was, right? 
like mm-hmm. didn't really like theoretically understanding and know you see things or whatever it is. You can point things out when they come up, but still not really get the depth of what the problem is. And one place, and this isn't like the deepest part of the problem, but one place I've seen this is the absurd things that people say on social media to women when they do not like something that a woman has said and how often those things are um, violent, right? Like how often they are not just simply dismissive or like getting the kitchen type stuff or what it is, but like threatening to rape people and stuff like that. Like there's, there's a hostility toward women that I did not realize was possessed like at the median. Like you knew that people had their problems with women that might call women names that they should not have or whatever it is. But I really did not get the disdain that so many people have for women in this culture, in this society, however you want to term it. Like I really, Mm -hmm. really didn't get it. But you go look in the mentions of any woman that works at ESPN. Like when people talk about all the crazy stuff that people say about me, no. Women, like just about every woman that exists in an opinion level capacity that works at this network, they deal with way more than I do. Way, way, way more than I do. Because nobody's really threatening me. No, because this is a patriarchal society. Why would they threaten another man? Even though you're a man, but you're a man. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly it. Like, they believe I have the right to talk about sports by virtue of having a penis, right? Like, they think I have the right to do that. They think those women have no place whatsoever. Like, how dare they? Do how dare they think they could do that? How dare they know more than these people that they're talking about? Like it's a very it's a some people have problems with perhaps the level of audacity that I have in stating some of my opinions, but it's not that they so much have a problem with the very idea that I might have an opinion in the first place. There is no way a woman can make her presentation as milk toast or right unremarkable. That would be enough to make people not speak about them with a level of hatred. Tell the truth, Bomani. I appreciate that. <laughs> but I, I just I just wish that this was happening more often. And yes, it, we see this on social media because we're on it every day or try not to, but it is. But I just feel like even in a general conversation for the millions that are not on social media, because a lot of people forget that, that's, that Twitter is also its own bubble. Uh, there's a whole world out there outside of it where the conversation is not being held. And I just wish that that conversation was the norm and the truths that you're saying were were just relevant, really. Yeah. But, you know, like Twitter as like representative of something larger does kind of become interesting because it is there are well, the, also the thing with Twitter is Twitter is as big as the circle you map out. Yes. Right. So like, I follow 4000 people. I do that in large part to try to avoid the echo chamber that can easily be built up because you get to curate your experience however it is that you want. Like I try to get as broad a level of stuff as I possibly can um, and not just people who are just throwing out the red meat so we can all jump and say, hey, we all agree on this. Let's pummel this random person who works at Target <laughs> who called somebody a name <laughs> on Facebook. Let's get them fired, right? Like, I, like I'm trying to um, avoid you know, getting into those sorts of places. But I've learned so much from being on social media just because of the the transfer of information becomes so easy. So I follow a whole bunch of people who do a whole bunch of different things and I can read and find so much and all, not just find things, but things that are being recommended to me by people I already respect. Mm. 
And so like there's so much potential for positivity in the space for making us all better and then being able to take those things that you find there onto wherever the other place it is, you know, that you want to go with. But man, people so mad. <laughs> been back there laughing. Oh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> right. Ooh. Um, all right, well, one last one. If you know, before we get into our brap segment, what would you be doing if you were not a journalist? Could you see yourself doing anything else? I mean, I would have to, right? Like, I, I, this isn't like something I grew up with. Um, like, I wanted to be a doctor when I got out of high school, and then I realized I ain't enjoy science in that way. And then I graduated from, like, I started writing when I was in college and then tried to do the PhD thing and that didn't work out so well. And like, I never thought I would be on television, like in the way that I'm on television now, that was, that was never anything that I had ever seen um, or, or like planned for. So if I wasn't doing this, I mean, I've been doing this now for almost 20 years in various ways. So like, it's hard to think of what other thing it is that I would want to do. I will say though, in college, if you would ask me my dream job, my dream job would be a ghostwriter for rappers. That's the best ah. job in the world. Get, you want to be Quentin? Okay. Look, give me all the bread and let me walk through the mall and nobody know who I am. That mm. was the dream. And I could get in all the concerts. <laughs> oh, man. Well, I think that's why I love writing myself. So, <laughs> all right. Yeah, well, you've survived the BRAP segment. I mean, not the BRAP segment. We're about to get into that. You survived the interview segment, but it's now time for the BRAP segment, our rapid-fire questions. So we have Bomani Jones here. Are you ready, sir? Let's do it, man. All right. The Falcon or War Machine? War Machine. Luke Cage or Black Panther? Black Panther. You have your ticket, by the, the way? Wire. Wait, wait. You have your ticket, by the way? I'm going to be traveling both weekends. The week, first weekend oh. and the second, I'm going to be... Because the first weekend is All-Star in LA. Oh, okay. And then after that, I have to go to Boston, which is like the opposite of Black Panther. Uh, <laughs> I'm not it. I'm not... The opposite of Wakanda? <laughs> yeah, like that. that's the... I'm going to be there for the Sloan like Sports Analytics Conference. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Opposite, bro. Opposite. <laughs> Damn, man, because we were just about to invite you to our Crown Wakanda event in New York City. Oh, damn. Yeah. I'd have gone, damn. too. It's going to be live. All right, back to this brat. The Wire or Breaking Bad? Oh, The Wire. <laughs> Easy choice. I've also never seen an episode of Breaking Bad, so I spoke with such authority there. Like, how dare you bring <laughs> up the other one? I don't know. Uh, Superman or Batman? Batman. Batman. You know, you know what it is for me and Batman? Like, I take it even off the comics. Yo, Adam West Batman is still the best Batman. Oh. He's so funny. You don't agree, Ben? He's hilarious. Like, like, look, you ain't got all the cool tools that you can have, all the other stuff and everything else. But think about this. Like, just imagine the Dark Knight, but then throw in Adam West Batman in there with the occasional Zonk. You telling me a Zonk wouldn't have made the Dark Knight better? No, Adam West is an amazing actor. Like, you know, his commitment to the part of Batman was like beyond anyone, yeah. I think, even Christian Bale. Yeah, it's so, like, like yeah. he's like Batman. Like, his Batman is like a Captain Kirk kind of, right? Where mm -hmm. it's like, okay, I think you're being funny, but I'm not sure, but it is funny, so let's ride with it. Yep. And he definitely rode it all the way. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. All right. Uh, Cam Newton or Colin Kaepernick? 
Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> this is a trick question. This is one that all depends on what you mean. Oh, this is brilliant, right? Because I'm sitting here like, I got to figure out what to say because it's going to be misinterpreted. No matter what, I'll go Colin Kaepernick. Okay. Oh, boy. Uh, we, we fully understand both sides of that yes. question. Yeah, man, that was brilliant. Like, that was so good. All sides, many sides. Um, All sides matter, baby. All sides matter. <laughs> oh, God. The it's levels to that comment. The levels to that comment. Holy crap. Uh, okay. I don't know how much of a horror buff you are. Mike Myers, go. Mike Myers, Freddie, or Jason? Jason. And you know why I go Jason? If you seen the Jason movie when Jason went to Manhattan... <laughs> You know what I'm talking. I bet you. I feel like you already know where I'm going with that. Jason was on. The, Jason was on the roof with the black dude, and I don't know why. I mean, he was a boxer, and the black dude decided he was gonna scrap it out with Jason, and, and, and he was doing some work on Jason, and then somehow he decided to tell Jason, "Take a shot. What? Take your best shot." Jason uppercutted that fool's dome off. And it landed on the ground right in front of the other white people who obviously live longer in the horror movie than this black dude who had been decapitated. What? This actually occurred? What? Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, ben, was, ben was just waiting on it. As soon as I said that, he was like, yep, I know what he's talking about. I know what he's talking about. As soon about. as you said Jason goes to Manhattan, I knew exactly what you were talking no, about. And Jason had all the closing speed, too. Like, how is it that Jason could always beat you to the corner? He could never turn the corner on Jason. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, man. You know, you put a jersey on him and he would have been mad. Oh, man, he's Lars Taylor. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. I'm crying. Uh, All right. All right. <sighs> All right. One, this one might be a little difficult. Prince or MJ? <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> Prince. Look, it's not about who's better. Like, this is the Beatles Stones argument for this generation where it's less about mm. Which one is better and more about what you're into and how you mm-hmm. kick it and what your life mm-hmm. is about. And I'm yep. more on the Prince kick than a Michael Jackson kick. There we go. All right. Follow up. What's your favorite Prince song? Ooh. Okay. So when Doves Cry is the best Prince song, right? Like, like objectively speaking, it is the okay. best Prince song. But if you were to ask me my favorite Prince song. Wow, the heart. You're right. This is mm. a this is a question <laughs> that actually proved to be far more difficult. Like if you could only just be sitting here looking at me, looking up and looking around and like, no, I don't want to go with that one. No, I don't want to go with that one. No, 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 no. He was real confident you, 15 seconds ago. Oh, yeah. And, and, but the fact that this is so difficult is the reason why I am so confident, is because like this is this is a this is not an easy question for you to answer. Um, I will. I believe that I will say for today, because this answer could change later, and I reserve the right to do so. I will go with the door today. There we go. Favorite. There we go. <laughs> I mean, I would say that a door is the greatest song ever written. Like I don't. There's I don't an argument. There's better. Yeah. There's, I don't think there's a better song in general ever made. Well, like it's like if I go music nerd on it, like I think the best song he ever wrote was Little Red Corvette, and I say that in part because I saw Prince in mm. concert like four or five times. 
and completely different arrangements every time. Like you can turn that song into whatever in the world it is that you want it to be. You can make it a ballad. Um, you can make it a dance track. You could. I saw him do it once unaccompanied on acoustic guitar. Like he, I could, saw that. Yeah, like in 04. Yeah. Like he could make Murder. that bad boy into. <laughs> like he could make it sing in whatever way in the world that he wanted to. But a door, burn on my clothes, smash up my ride, but maybe not the ride. That right. is. Oh, by the way, and I actually changed my mind. Now I got it. My favorite Prince song ever is If I Was Your Girlfriend. That's the mm, one. There's another one. Wow. See, yeah, I'd either go Adore, and then on some days it's uh, Joy and Repetition. Joy and Repetition is, goes a long way, man. That that joint is so ill. Yes. You know, and, and it's like the lyrics are so, like, they concentrate to get into that one point, And it's like, you know, when he finishes the story, it's like, oh, okay. And it's like. You knew what to do. what is your favorite wesley snipes movie i mean does mo better blues count i mean i don't know if he counted as a wesley snipes movie you know what i mean he was in it (laughs) grimy though he he was um i think we go actually no i go white man can't jump i enjoy white man can't jump more like White Man Can't Jump is one of those movies Classic. that is so much better than you ever would have thought going in to see it because you just thought you was gonna watch dudes play basketball, and it's like a real live movie. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, it's a, it's like I watched it recently, and it's such a dark yes. real live movie too. It it's it's like I mean. Uh, Woody is just a scumbag in so many ways. Like he treats Rosie bad. You know, he's a gambler. You know, Wesley's just trying to make it, but then he's also a scumbag. It's like a really yeah. It also is a very L.A. Movie. movie, right? Um, because everybody want to be in L.A., mm-hmm. man, but being in L.A. is hard. Being in L.A. is hard. <laughs> and like, say what you want about the Sidney <laughs> Dean character, he was trying to come up. Right, that was the big thing. Is it's almost like, yes. like I would love to see a prequel of White Man Can't Jump about when Sidney Dean's family moved to L.A. Right, and what the dream was they thought it was going to be, and then it mm. obviously turned out to be something else. And now he's trying oh. to cobble it all together, hooping and what, like selling real estate. When he's selling <laughs> real estate, <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't know he was selling real estate. I feel I like there was, was a scene hustling. though where like, he was like trying to do some actual hustling. work. <laughs> I'm sure there was because like I said that movie is so much deeper than I even remember from the first time I saw it because it is like when you know Woody is just going off on Rosie and I'm like wow like you know and then you know she leaves yeah, and honestly and I feel just, like yeah, but that's definitely that her leaving him is like a, something that doesn't get talked about nearly enough in this because movies normally are telling women no. to go stick with these clowns when they do stuff yes. like that and she chucked yep. him to deuce. She's too fine mm-hmm. to be dealing with him any damn way. Yes. <laughs> like, how in yep. the world that clown get to take a shower with her? Oh, I mean, you know, Spike Lee, oh, you know, yeah. pulled him oh, off. Oh, my God. Spike, yeah. like, that, so. That's one of those, I run this place, right? That That's totally what that would is. Yeah. Like, I bet, like, maybe they had a body double for her. They ain't had one for him. He's like, no, I'll hold the ice. I got this. I got this. Oh, and I know she was damn just, messed up. Oh. Got to do it again. <laughs> All right, let's see. In any medium, like books, TV, film, whatever, what character's death hurt hmm. you the most? 
Uh, Honestly, even though you knew it was coming, that maybe makes it work. When Malcolm X died in Malcolm X, that was rough. Because we had to listen to the change is going to come for four minutes leading up to it, knowing it was about to come. Um, uh, <laughs> you know, I, I tell you what killed me is yes, when you saw him flow. doing the Spike Lee walk. <laughs> right, even you know, right before Malcolm X, and, and they had it done an all movie, and then like, the Spike Lee walk. And and I'm like, oh, that's so great. It's over. <laughs> oh man, that's so sad. All right. All I think right. this is the final one. If you can have any one superpower, what would it be? Hmm. Hmm. Any one superpower, what would it be? I mean, I would like to have some level of superhuman strength. And you know why? Because then you ain't never got to holler at your homeboy to borrow his truck. <laughs> <laughs> think about how many people you got in your life you don't want to have in your life but they the one with the truck that was one of the realest answers <laughs> my high school would have been completely different yo man the dude with the truck everybody got a partner with a truck like uh my buddy here uh nick wright works at fox he lives a few blocks away from me and I remember whatever, because he got kids, so they got a car. And I looked out there and saw that Tahoe. I'm like, uh-oh, you know what that means? You are. <laughs> You're the homie with the truck. <laughs> nice. All right, we got one last one. We can't get out of here. You know, we, we can't get out of here without asking. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. You sure. know it. Yes, I know. S- Star Wars or Star Trek? Do you mind if I confess something? Oh, I pretty much knew this was coming. So I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming. <laughs> the only Star Wars movie I've seen is Episode Three. Oh, it's not on purpose. Nice. I've not like done this. I just haven't come around to a place where I can see it. However, I'm going to Star Trek, and I'm only going to Star Trek for one reason and one reason only. You ever seen a picture of Uhuru? Or Uhura. <laughs> yeah, whatever. Yes. What I, yes. I'll, whatever she wants me to call her. Like, <laughs> damn near to this day. I, she's still in the league, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, yeah, yeah. She, she's still like, like, you know, she, that was a great. Michelle yeah, 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 that was a great character. Oof. That was say a great the, character. Say the least. Yeah, man. It's still a win. I'll take it. <laughs> yeah, like, but like that, that's like the biggest win of William Shatner's career. Like, you got to you got to like kick it with her, uh, even uh, on the screen. Oh, and he's such a bastard too. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. Yes. Uh, that's unfortunate. Oh well. So unfortunate. All right. Well, you survived the brat segment. You survived the interview segment. Please let the fan bros out there know where they can find you at. All right, man. Check me out uh, on Twitter. I'm at Bomani underscore Jones. Don't be coming out here talking crazy to me. Um, I also, I do a podcast <laughs> called The Evening Jones once every week or two where I take questions from the audience and on all topics, not sports, by the way. That's the fun part about that is I can't contractually, I'm not allowed to do sports. That's we talk about everything else. So you can check that at TheEveningJones.com or at the iTunes store for The Evening Jones. Uh, I'm going to get the right time back on the road soon on podcast form. You'll be able to get that. We're all five podcasts given away for absolutely free. And a TV show with my man Pablo Torre that will be starting at some point 
in 2018. <laughs> okay. I don't really have a great answer for you, but I presume it would be sometime in April. All right. Very nice. I, very good. You know, I wanted to know about that, but I know, you know, them, them ESPN contracts are tight. Yeah, no, so. honestly, here's what I'll tell I can tell you this about that, that there's nothing to tell as of right now. Uh, <laughs> like, that's the thing about it. The people who are in charge of putting this stuff together will let me know when there are things to know. And they ain't really let me know that much as of yet, but we'll be all right. Like for better or worse, I feel like you put me up, you you give me a camera and some stuff to talk about. We'll figure the rest out. A hundred percent sure of that. And you definitely have to come back to the spaceship, you know, once you do find out, once the show drops, so we can talk some more about everything. I'm that. with it, man. All right. All right. Well, thank y'all, thank you. Rose. And we're gonna take a quick break and we'll be right back with more of the show. The internets, this is Combat Jack. And you're listening to the Fanbro Show. Do me a favor. Do them a favor. Subscribe, rate, comment on iTunes. Follow them on SoundCloud, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, MySpace, Black Planet, Mi Gente. And welcome back, Fan Bros. I know you are enjoying this episode. Thank you as all listening to us for subscribing on all the various formats, Spotify, iTunes, YouTube, Twitter, wherever we are. We out there on the internet, SoundCloud, of course. Make sure you're subscribed to SoundCloud, iTunes, Spotify, so you can get this in your ear holes every week. You know, and you know, shout out to everyone once again. We're back for the new year. I know y'all been missing us, but we're back. But you know what we've been missing? We've been missing your own questions, you know, because we need them for this next segment that we like to call The Guac is Extra. Yep, The Guac is Extra, the frequently asked questions where we answer any and all questions from all of our listeners, all of the fan bros out there, all of our friends, for all nerds. So, you know, once again, let me say this. Please send in your questions to contact at fanbros.com. You can hit us on the Twitters or the Instagram at fanbroshow and just send us questions about anything, you know, because in 2018, we want to bring some more light, positivity, and love into your life. So any type of question you have, whether it's geek-related or not, let us know. We'll answer it here live on the show. But, you know, tonight we have a very special question from our very own Chico Leo. Well, it, it is too bad that uh, we're going to have to get Tatiana's answer for this later. But uh, yes, so uh, DJ Ben-Hameen, if you were a furry, what would your fur- what would your fursona be? <laughs> One, I did not know that they were called fursonas. Oh, yeah. Uh, oh, that, that's a good one. That's a that's a well-placed pun. Um, a fursona. Yeah. Hmm. If I was going to walk in a hot-ass furry suit all day, what would it be? Ooh. I always, whenever furries come up, I always think of um, Entourage when Johnny Drama, you know, willingly put on the furry suit and went in there and, you know, uh, had uh, relations with a woman who wanted a man to wear a furry suit and Turtle wasn't willing to do it, but Johnny Drama was down for the cause. So, What, uh, um, what did he dress up as? I think it was a squirrel. <laughs> See, my, my problem is when I think of furries and there's no shade or whatever is I think of that scene in The Shining when they walk into a room and there's like a guy in a bear suit giving head to somebody. Oh, wow. So that's like my oh. sort of first automatic. I mean, that's just, you know, I saw The Shining when I was young. And so that 
that image, I mean, that and, like, the blood coming out of the elevator. I guess there's a lot of images from The Shining that stuck in my head. But, yeah. Um, the first time I saw The Shining, when that woman uh, turned into the, oh, like, yeah. ghost hag, yes. I, I stopped I, I stopped watching it. I was done. I was like, I was like, okay, that's enough of that. Right. I've seen it since, but, like, the first time I saw it, I was way too young for that. I was like, nah, be, I'm, I'm straight. Um... <laughs> All right, well, yeah, we, uh, we come back to, you can come up with a dope fursona with, you know, even give your fursona a dope AKA. I was about to go with a skunk just because why not? But then I think of Pepe Le Pew and he's such a, you know, a trash dude in general that I can't roll that way. So, uh, and then I would go with Woody Woodpecker, but I hate that dude. Um, All right, a penguin, Chili Willy. Oh, I like that. Yes. And you, yeah, you referenced so- Chili Willy a few times on this show. <laughs> I have one of my, and I've actually looked it up on the internets and I found it. One of my favorite episodes of Chili Willy. For those who don't know, Chilly Willy is in the same universe as Woody Woodpecker. And he's an evil little bastard, just like Woody Woodpecker. Because in this one episode I peeped to his when I was a child, he is trying to live in this cave where all these bears are. But they're hibernating for the winter. And so he's trying to get in there and they won't let him in, you know, of course, because they're hibernating. So in the end of the episode, he takes these hibernating bears and makes them sleepwalk out of the cave with a stick of dynamite in each of their hands. And they walk over the horizon and get blown up as they walk over the horizon. It is one of the most horrible, evil things ever. And it's stuck in my head since I was a kid. And I had to look it up to make sure it exists. But yeah, Chili Willy is a bastard. But yeah, I'll go with the penguin. All right. I like this. So are you going to come as Chili Willy to the uh, Black Panther premiere? Oh, no. Oh, but no, no, no. <laughs> Prime Wakanda, I don't think so. No, 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 no. That's not happening. It's Prime Wakanda, baby. I'm coming in the finest of wares. Shout out to Just Blaze, who says he already has his King Joffrey suit done up. So, you know, we'll see what happens if Just is going to come with the lion over his, you know, neck. I, I, I mean, I wouldn't doubt it. This is Just Blaze, the cheat code himself. So we'll see what happens. But, yeah. What about you, Chico? What are you coming to Crown Wakanda as? Well, you know, I got my, uh, you were with me, I believe, at uh, one of the Comic-Cons several years ago when I uh, bought my Spirit Hood, uh, which is, uh, you know, my leopard, uh, my leopard bonnet or leopard hat or leopard hood. Um, So I'll I'll probably be rocking that, you know, uh, in in solidarity (laughs) since leopards are cousins to panthers. So I'll be rocking wow. my I'll be rocking my leopard headgear. I didn't want to reveal that, but you know when you put me on the spot like that. So yeah, I'll be coming as uh, proud Larry the leopard. You, you might have. To, <laughs> you might have to get a whole leopard suit. Oh yeah, to coordinate. You know you got to do it right, Chico. This is Crown Wakanda, so you know you might have to coordinate as they say and then actually i might i could double that because there there's actually uh rumors that sarah paulson who um uh, will be playing cheetah in the new wonder woman movie so i could like double that and cosplay as cheetah when wonder woman 2 comes out there you go i mean you know uh, it's a two for one deal right. right here chico <laughs> like, yeah i mean you gotta get as much as you can out of this outfit so. absolutely there absolutely you go, you know? There well, all right. I might have to put up a GoFundMe or something to get uh, a, a, the rest of the leopard suit together. But, uh, you know, stay tuned. 
stay tuned. And, you know, we got all kind of connections, Chico, so we might ma- have to make that happen because, oh. Oh, yeah. Ooh, that, yeah, I can, I, I can visualize this right now. So <laughs> I need to see it. And like I said before, Crown Wakanda is going to be a unique event that you need to be at. It's going to be a star stud. <laughs> A star-studded celebration, folks. So, you know, if you are in the New York City area, even if you're not, you might need to make the trip because it's going to be one for the ages. But, yes, if you do have a question for the Fan Bros, for any of us, for all of us, please hit us up. Contact at fanbros.com, and we will answer any and all questions. You know, thank you for all the support through all the years. We are doing it really big for 2018. Crown Wakanda is just the beginning. So, you know. Let's, let's go, let's go. And, you know, who, other people who are doing it big. I remember back when we started this, Chico, you uh, had this rule about TV shows only being able to have five seasons. Oh, and after yeah. After that, they were, you know, it was a wrap. And, like, and I remember when we met and you said that, I was like, yo, what does this dude talk about? This guy is nuts. And now it's like one of my prime rules. I, I really believe you. Like, it's a very rare show that has gone past five seasons and it's still quality television. And The Walking Dead is now going into its ninth season. And I don't know if it's quality television anymore. No, it's. I, I think The Walking Dead has turned into a zombie. I mean, it's just staggering, wow. shuffling forward with little pieces <laughs> falling wow. off of it. You know? Um, yeah, I, 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 I mean, I, at this point, am only basically going through the motions watching it. I mean, I... Um, this last season I found to be really disappointing. I had no idea where anybody was in relation to each other. So there were all these episodes where, like, people were, you know, and I didn't know, like, are they, you know, an hour away from these? You know, like, I didn't know where the different locations were. They did a really bad job of, um, and, uh, yeah, so I spent the whole half or whatever mini season not exactly knowing where anybody was in relation to anybody else. And... I mean, you know, just in, in Game of Thrones, well, I guess it helps that they have the map in the beginning, but it's like, I have an idea of where everybody is in Game of Thrones, and they're all over multiple continents. And this, like, you know, they're all in the same zip code, in I think, in uh, The Walking Dead, and I have no idea where anybody is in relation to each other. But yes, this going into its ninth season, they've they've replaced Scott Gimple with Angela Kang, the one of the... Um, one of the regular writers of the show, Scott Gimple, was the showrunner. I mean, this is like the fourth or fifth showrunner that the show has had. And, um, I mean, they're going to keep making that money. I mean, you know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's guaranteed. But, you know, we do have to give a shout-out to them, you know, electing a woman to the position sure. of showrunner. Because this very much, very rarely happens. And a woman of color. So, you know, shout-outs to Angela Kane. And hopefully you continue as showrunner. And, you know, more than that on this show and other things for years to come, you know, even though it is whatever, whatever with the plot, et cetera, right now, maybe, you know, you can turn that around because, but at the same time, I do want to say this, you know, like having worked on, you know, for my first time ever working behind the scenes on television and stuff like that, it's, it's one thing. It's very difficult to get, you know, shows on the air, et cetera, et cetera. But also sometimes it's like, it's cool. Like this is no shots at the walking dead. It's like sometimes it doesn't make any sense at all, but it's still wildly entertaining. So it's like, you know, F it. If you're not, like, really mad at my, – my rule is, is like, if you're not, like – and shout-outs to LOYC because he always says this, too. Like, if you're not mad at, you know, the time you spent watching something, it wasn't that bad. You know, it's like if you're like, damn, I missed that hour of my life, that's when you got to really question stuff. 
but overall i i agree with that but there yeah. is a sense of like with some of these shows that you're going through the motions like continue to watch like you you're not getting the same joy out of it i mean if lost oh, no. was still on like you know eight years later and they were like going back to the island for like the fifth time and you know oh my god no you know no, jack no. is now as fat as hurley and you know i mean <laughs> you know it just yeah it wouldn't be it wouldn't yeah i mean you know th- there needs to be an end yes because even like the walking dead comic i think even though it hasn't had an end yet it keeps changing it up somewhat where I still enjoy it, but I feel like the show is lagging behind the comic in terms of that, and it's just going on and on. But, you know, we'll see what happens because I'm still going to be watching that ninth season. It's They got me there. It's, it's actually interesting that you say that because I think as when comparing TV shows and comic books, comics are still a much more nimble form of storytelling in the sense that, like, with TVs, you have contracts, right? You have actors, mm-hmm. you have, you know, yep. I mean, like, um, you know, what's his face? Robert Kirkman could just wake up one day and be like, yo, I'm going to kill Rick. Like, they can't do yeah. that on the TV show. And, like, at this point, no. Rick is basically Thanos, and, you know, he can do whatever he wants, and, you know, he's got his <laughs> Infinity Stones, and he can just, you know. So, you know, I mean, it's, it, it is, an, you know, I actually do think one of the reasons that TV has become you know, sort of the number one form of entertainment is is partially because of stuff that they took from comic storytelling. I mean, there's a reason the X-Men is still, you know, going, you know, 50-something years later, whereas there's no TV yep. show that lasts 50 years. And so, um, you know, but I do think in comics you can make, you know, turns, I mean, for the worse as well, no, no doubt. You know, they can also wake up one day and be like, yo, let's give Wonder Woman a brother and let's make Captain America a Nazi you know, oh. so, you know, it, it, it's for good and bad, but there's a nimbleness to, you know, comic book storytelling that, you know, TV shows are like aircraft carriers. Like, you can't kind of turn them around, you know, unless it's like, you know, Dallas, where they just wake up and are like, oh, that whole season was a dream. But they rarely do that. <laughs> oh, my God. I wish they would do that in the age of the Internet because it would be over. Right. <laughs> <laughs> No, it would be dope oh, if, like, man. the last episode of Game of Thrones is just Bran waking up from a dream. <laughs> or a Bran waking up from having fallen out of the window. You know what I mean? Like, it's just like... And he's still walking. Yeah, exactly. Hey, you know what I saw? Yeah, he just walks it off. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Ooh, but yeah, um, a lot of stuff happened in the TV at the start of the year. You know, Cosmos with uh, Neil deGrasse Tyson is coming back for a second season. Uh, what else is happening? Black Lightning is coming up before our next yes. episode. Black Lightning will have premiered. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we'll be covering that on the next episode. Black Lightning, Black Panther. It's all going down. It's a celebration of blackness. Oh, I saw uh, Misha Green was tweeting the other day about Lovecraft uh, County. Our country. Love oh, yeah, country. yeah, Sorry yeah. Yeah, they said the first um, script is written and the writer's room is popping off. And I love to see that because if you have not listened to our interview with Matt Ruff, the writer of the book that it's based on, you need to go listen to it and you need to go check out that book because that book is incredible. I can't wait to see the TV show that it's based on. Misha Green doing it again, you know, under, I mean, yeah, underground and now this. Oof. 
Yeah, shout out to Mellow Marketer for putting at least me onto the book or putting us onto the book. Um, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Put all of us on. Yeah, so that and 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 Ready Player One are the two things that people have been talking about, like books getting you know translated to TV or movies that you know everyone has been really waiting for. So and I yeah, I yep. mean frankly, I'm a little more excited about Lovecraft Country. Ooh, I'm I'm so excited, yeah. y'all. If y'all if y'all ever, like I said, when y'all read that book, y'all would understand because. That book is definitely one of the best novels I've read in years. It's so tense, so intense in so many different ways. It's so ill and so sci-fi and then so re- real to the world at the same time. So definitely check that out. It's a you know, beautiful, incredible book. Cannot wait to see the series. Ooh, I mean, a lot going on. But, you know, I think it's about time for some, you know, it's been a minute for this. Let me, let me make sure I get this right. Uh Comics Icopt. Yeah. And Comics Icopt every week. You know, we talk about all the comics that we copped. Shout out to everybody using that hashtag, copping all them comics. Uh, damn, I can't remember uh, her name, but one of the listeners hit me up today and said her, her first comic book purchase ever. You know, she used to read um, manga, manga, and all that as a kid. But um, what she really got into just now was Tanahasi Coates. Black Panther, she just picked the volume one of that. I definitely recommend everyone go pick that up. You know, if, if you're a fan of the movie and you're looking for something to get into before the movie. Also, uh, Christopher Priest run. Also, Reginald Hudlin's run. All these are now collected. You can get the collections of all of them. They are, you know, pretty much essential reading, especially Christopher Priest. And, I mean, all three of those are pretty ill. You know, all three of those have some great stories. What, I can't, you know. What's the, what's going on with Evan Narcisse has a, a new comic? Oh, yes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, shout outs to Evan Narcisse, who, you know, a friend of the show. You can check his interview with us on YouTube where he discusses his new comic, Rise of the Black Panther. Yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I said that like I don't know. Yeah, Rise of the Black Panther. Issue number one is on sale right now. Issue number one is a great, like, it's kind of like a retelling of some of, you know, T'Challa's history, even his father's history, even before that. You know, it's telling basically the story, Rise of the Black Panther, you know, like Rise of the Planet of the Apes, et cetera, et cetera. You get it. So it's like, you know, Rise of the Black Panther, and they're showing off his origin. Evan Narcisse, this is his first comic book ever. You know, he's a journalist, and he got this line, you know I mean, got the nod to do this, and now he got it. So Rise of the Black Panther in stores right now. Pop it. Get, make sure you go get that. Also, a friend of the show, uh, Saladin Ahmed, uh, has a new comic that I'm not sure it's out now, but um, it takes place in Detroit, and it's like a, uh, it's loosely, not loosely based on, but I think it's similar to, um, uh, there was was a show that was really influential on the X-Files, Night Stalker, and it's about a black woman, either detective or journalist, who's in Detroit in the 70s, who's like uncovering all kinds of like supernatural things and that's like a creator own thing i think he's doing but um i'm not sure if it's out yet but i've seen it a lot like on twitter i've seen art from it it looks dope um i don't know if that's out yet um but if it is i was just wondering if you had read it no i haven't got to read that yet but what i have been catching up on because i was a few issues behind i was actually reading it this morning is his other book black bolt which ended up on a lot of credit. Yeah. That's the 2017 uh, list. And I'm really happy to see him get that recognition because Black Bolt is really great. And, you know, we've been talking about it since the first issue. It's one of my favorite comics out right now. 
And a lot of times these comics from Marvel that are like their top books don't get the recognition that they deserve. So I'm really happy to hear that. If you haven't picked it up, the first trade is in stores right now. It's, you know, just a very dope story. I mean, it has one of the best uses of Crusher Creel of all time. And he's just such a fan of Marvel and their history, and it shows. But even if you don't know the history of these characters, it's just such a great take on them. So go check out Black Bolt, because that joint is dope. I've been talking about that. One last thing in comics I copped this week that I wanted to – well, two last things, because first of all, I got to give a big shout-out once again to Lion Forge, to Joe Illich, the whole team over there. I mean, all, most of their books now are reaching the first trade point, so if you haven't picked up any of their joints yet, you can go pick up the trades and see what you're missing out on because this is something that needs to be celebrated. Like, we talk about Black Panther all the time, but there's all these other characters and you know creators of color who are making all these different books and all these different comics that you should check out, and Lion Forge is just a stunning example of that. Like, I mean, Excel from Lion Forge, Noble from Lion Forge. There's just a bunch of joints that are, I mean, you know, I could go on and on, but, I'll, you know, there's a lot of comments I got to talk about. But definitely check out everything from Lion Forge right now. I know Noble's in its first trade. I think Excel just reads its first trade. So you can go pick those up if you haven't checked them out yet. And one last one is that I got to bid this up because I actually read this whole joint this morning because everyone had been telling me to read it, is Victor Laval's. I hope I pronounced his name right, Destroyer. And Victor Laval's Destroyer is this book about the Frankenstein story, but brought to a modern age. And the hook is that it involves this woman whose son is killed in a you know police incident where the police overreact and shoot a young black child, and she brings him back to life, back like Victor Frankenstein. But the book is so much deeper than that. It's six issues. You know, you can go get all six issues. I think it's collected as a trade now or will be very soon. And it's just an incredible piece of work. Uh, Dietrich Smith, who's one of my favorite artists, he does the art on it. Dope art, but just the writing, like, I'm just blown away. I had, you know, I didn't know about this brother's work before, but he's a novelist. I'm going to go pick up a few of his novels now. And go pick up Victor Laval's Destroyer. It's from Boom Comics. It's an independent uh, comic book company, Boom. They put out a lot of dope joints. And this is definitely one of the best comics I've read. It's from 2017. It all came out last year. And if I'd read it then, it would have been on my best of 2017 list easily. So I'm sorry I slept on it. But go check that out now. Comics I copped. And that's it for this week's edition. Oh, wait. I just want to add something because you just said Boom. Um the the yep. name of the Saladin Ahmed com- written comic is is um, Abbott and it it is a supernatural yes, crime yes. thriller and it's coming out from Boom and it stars uh, oh you know, it's, okay so it's from Boom and uh, the other trade paperback that either just came out or is coming out is uh, Greg Pack uh, Met Cadet U that a lot of people I haven't read it but a lot of people have been saying really good things about it. Um, and I know that trade drops like this week. So I think the first issue of Abbott comes out next week. Um, oh, nice. Yeah. Nice. But, uh, yeah, no, the, I mean, 2018 is definitely getting started, starting off with, uh, you know, meanwhile, again, like, you know, DC is, you know, I'm saying all these independent companies, like you're shouting out DC is, uh, Ooh, Wonder Woman is a brother. I mean, it's just so stupid. They just so, yeah, but, so... but but don't 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 just hate on DC outright because they've been doing a lot of great comics lately too as well. So you know it's a, these I I mean there's 
everyone makes dumb choices like that. But All right. Yeah. yeah. No, say, that's true. Yeah. I'll give you that. Yeah. Because I've been reading a lot of different stuff from a lot of different people. And like you said, another trade that just dropped this week before we get out of here. I always talk about it. But Wicked and Divine, the latest trade is out. You can now go pick up all six trades, and I promise you, that's just one of the. It, it's for people who read it in trades, you you're blessed because when I was reading it single issues, it's so crazy. The end of the latest trade is such a turning point that just you makes you want to go reread the whole series. So if you're just reading it for once now, you can just you know read it all through, and you're oh this is great, boom. But you know me, I was reading it month to month. But go check that out, Wicked and Divine, incredible stuff. And it's now time for something I've been waiting all show for. Chico's Pick of the Week. So, yeah, this originally started as, like, the Netflix Pick of the Week. But I got to be honest with you, lately Netflix has been more like Netflix, like uh, Noflix. Oh, hey, hey, Mudbound, Mudbound. Yeah, no, Mudbound. Yeah, and Mudbound was actually my last Pick of the Week the last time I was on the show. But since then... I've been disappointed. I mean, I did like Black Mirror, or I liked it the way I liked the other previous seasons. Like, some episodes were really dope, and some episodes weren't. But yeah. um, I just got a chance to watch uh, Janelle Monae's, the first episode of Janelle Monae's Electric Dreams, oh. which is now on Amazon Prime, and is definitely, fo- it's it's an anthology series, and it falls into, I've only seen the first episode, but it falls into the sort of Black Mirror, you know, it's sort of near future sci-fi societal, like it's, it's similar. Um, and uh, the first episode has, uh, what's her face, Stooky, Stooky Stackhouse and uh, Ever- Luscious, Li- Lucius Lyons uh, slash the original Rhodey um, as uh, it's sort of a virtual reality like uh, cop thing that that, that was mean, pretty he- good. Um, you mean Terrence, uh, yeah. Terrence New Howard Math? Yep. I mean, I mean, I mean New Math Howard. Yes. So, um, I, I actually, so again, I've only watched the first episode, and I'm loath uh, to like, you know, outright be like, "Yo, everyone, go watch this." If I haven't seen the whole thing, but the first episode was good. I mean, it felt like an episode of Black Mirror, but, um, and, uh, I, you know, so that that's on Amazon Prime, and a show that actually came out on Hulu like over the summer that I just peeped was, um harlots which is actually a show about two rival brothel owners in like the 1700s in england in london when apparently like one in five women were sex workers and it's just a dope show um about you know with a lot of female characters um and you know it's you know i mean it doesn't skimp on sort of the brutality of that life but um i actually really liked it i'm looking forward to the uh the second season coming um in in april and i just saw that like the week between christmas and new years so no one really has been talking about that but i thought harlots you know um you know hulu has had you know obviously the um um handmaid's tale runaways but you i think feel like you could you could add harlots to your uh to your list of hulu shows and definitely check out electric dreams on prime yeah, before we get out of here, I just wanted to say one thing because I think I mentioned it on the previous episode in the last year, but big shout out to Desus and Mero who were talking. You know, they gave a shout out to Fanbro's show on, it might not be their latest episode. It was basically like their comeback episode where they addressed a lot of things that they had going on and a lot of people talking noise to them, et cetera, et cetera. And they mentioned Fanbro's show, they mentioned Premier Pete's show as like big moments for them, you know, when they were like, 
yo, you know, when we wasn't doing these big things that we're doing now, you know, shout outs to the people who were listening to us and checking for us. And they mentioned this as one of them. And also, I just want to say, because that episode was really inspiring to me in general, because they were just talking about how, you know, they're two brothers from the Bronx and look how far they made it. And if they can make it, anyone can make it. And in 2018, I want, you know, that to be our, you know, mantra, our thought process, everything out here, because I just want people to understand, like, you know, we're all making it out here. We're all working at bigger and better things. But I just want to extend that, you know, air of positivity and love and all that to everyone out there listening, to all our friends and family, to everyone out there. I just want the show and us to be more positive in 2018 and talk about, you know, the good things instead of always just talk about the negative things or having these same old tired ass arguments about geek culture. You know, like, oh, my God, Tessa Thompson is black. You know, she can't be Valkyrie. You know, I want to leave all that type of stuff behind in, you know, 2017. And I just want to talk about, you know, the great things that are happening as much as possible. You know, we can always argue about whether or not a movie is good, whether or not a comic is good. All that stuff is whatever. You know, let's do that all day. But all this just, you know, the same old nonsense arguments. I just want to leave that behind. I want the show to represent something else. So, you know, we just going to talk more positivity, bring that love and light into your life. And thank you for listening. Fan Bros. F-A-N-P-R-O-S. For all the Fan Bros.